Hello everyone and welcome to Two Weirdos, One Podcast, where we talk about everything from true crime to conspiracies to aliens to hauntings and everything weird. My name is Ashley. And I'm Megan and we're your two weirdos. What's up, guys? Welcome back. We're here with episode 17. And this week, since we missed our um, month anniversary last week, because, you know, we are who we are. So (laughs) we're here this week. (laughs) Can't change that. Right. (laughs) So we're here this week with two stories. Um, I've got a short one for you, and Megan's got the normal, normal longer one. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But, Megan, how are you? I'm sunburnt and hurting. <laughs> <laughs> so we went tubing or like floating down a river in tubes yesterday yeah. for a friend's birthday. Um, if y'all remember Allie, she made a guest appearance on an earlier um, episode. Yeah. The one about the cruise ship. Ah, uh, yes. I forget her name. The girl that went missing. Yep. Amy, um, Amy Lynn Bradley. Amy Lynn Bradley. That was it. Yeah. So yeah, we were on the river and... Before, I thought I had, like, sunscreened up really nice because I'm super pale and my skin is very sensitive to the sun. Relatable. But no. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, I missed my entire right knee um, underneath (laughs) my top and, like, random splotches down my leg because they're all just bright red, so tender. Like, my dog will stretch and she'll, like, paw me and it it hurts (laughs) so bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were Snapchatting each other our nice sunburns, our weird sunburns last night after like we had showered and stuff. So <laughs> it was funny. Yeah, I was like, did I even try to put on sunscreen? Like I just missed yeah. everywhere. Like half of my one leg, like there's a line down my right leg where half of it's sunburn and the other half is not. <laughs> like just a line down my shin. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, yeah. But the worst part is, yeah, like right. Where, like, kind of, like, around my armpits. Like, my armpits are sunburn. (laughs) Putting on deodorant was not fun today. Dang. Yeah, I've been sitting with a, like, tub of aloe vera no more than three feet away from me for the entire day. Oh, yeah. Because the second it starts getting, like, warm and stingy, I just, like, aloe vera all over it. Yeah, I got that, uh, as Jordan loves, his Hawaiian Tropic after sun. Oh, yeah, I did recommend that one. He I did. just picked up the cheapest one at Walgreens because, you know, Oh, yeah. Aloe will work. Yeah, Aloe <laughs> yeah. will do just fine. So, well, that's how we're doing. Hope, yeah, hope so you guys are doing a little bit better. Stay safe and apply your sunscreen. Multiple times. Early. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, see, I think we did. I think we did good at first, but then, you know, the float lasts a couple hours and we're just, like, baking in the sun, so I think just, like, water getting on it, too, and not reapplying had to do with that, but... Yeah, I think I just reapplied once on my shoulders. Yeah, I did, like... A whole two hours. Yeah, I did, like, a half-ass job on my shoulders and, like, the tops (laughs) of my arms, but to reapply, but I didn't, like, get my legs or, like... I guess I oh, yeah. now I know because I guess your arms are like just chilling around a tube. So I don't know why I didn't think my armpits would not get sunburned. So right, <laughs> everyone apply sunscreen in your armpits. Yeah, learn from our mistakes. Yes. <laughs> well, hopefully they'll it'll be better by tomorrow because lifting with like Ugh. um 
sunburn armpits will not be fun, but yeah, you know, hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> All right, well, guys, should we, Megan? Should we hop into the stories? Yeah, let's get going. All right. Well, I'm just gonna start with my little short story, our month anniversary special for you guys. And this week, I'm bringing you. I feel like we haven't done like an alien story in a while, so. Yeah, it has been a while. Yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of great, like, alien abduction stories, but they're so short, and so it's hard to do, like, a full episode of one, so I found this really great one that I came across. So it's called The Pascagoula Abduction, and it was an abduction of Calvin Parker Jr. and Charles Hickson. So, on October 11th of 1973, friends Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson claim that they were abducted by aliens while they were fishing on the Pascagoula River. So they were out for a nice fish fishing trip on a, on a river. And um, yeah, that's when they got abducted. They were fishing on an abandoned, at an abandoned shipyard that had a little pier. And they were like fishing off of that little pier. And at about 6 p.m. when it was just kind of like starting to get dark, um, there was a bright moon that night, but, you know, sun was setting. Uh, Calvin had noticed a blue light reflecting off of the water, and at first he thought that it was just the police, like, coming up to tell them that they couldn't fish there, because it was, like, an abandoned, um, old shipyard or whatever, so I don't know if it was, like, no trespassing or whatever, but, um, he thought that it was just the police, um, but when he looked up, he noticed the hazy blue lights were coming from a craft, so he said, (laughs) a craft, he said, and I have quite a few quotes from him. Um, he said, a big light came out of the clouds. It was a blinding light. And then he says, it was hard to tell with the light so bright, but it looked like it was shaped like a football. I would say just estimating about 50 feet. It made very little sounds. It was just a hissing noise. So just kind of like a quiet football shaped 80 foot craft. Casual. Um, spooky right so calvin said that it was like him and charles were paralyzed like they couldn't move at all and like as soon as they saw this and these three legless creatures floated from the craft so like the front of the craft opened and three legless creatures floated from the craft so they didn't walk it was more like they were like gliding Um, bobbing up and down right just like like, just like a little glide (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh I can imagine I, I imagine so, them as like balloons that lost their helium they're like still kind of floating but they're like bobbing yeah. along oh my gosh <laughs> sidetrack <laughs> this was when Jordan and I were in our just a one bedroom apartment like on the second floor like in a really safe like safe gated like apartment complex like up north in Austin and uh we had I had a balloon for some reason like I don't remember what the balloon was from, but all of a sudden in the middle of the night, we hear this loud, like super loud noise. And it's like, like, it's, I don't know. It sounded like someone was maybe like pounding on the wall, like waking up from dead sleep. It sounded like someone was like pounding on walls or something. We're like, what the heck was that? We jumped out of bed and like our bedroom was also connected to like a master bathroom, but there was another door from the outside in like the kitchen area that would go into the bathroom because it was just a one bed, one bath or whatever. So it was, oh, yeah. we could get into the bathroom from outside in like the living area or our bedroom. So we like 
could lock both doors kind of basically mm-hmm. um so we're like what the hell so we're like in our little one bedroom like locked in and we're like okay that's weird what is that so we open the door and we left a fan in the living room on and the helium like balloon had gotten caught in the fan <laughs> and it was making this like terrifying noise oh my gosh so that was super scary we're like oh my god that was like the scariest thing <laughs> to wake up to but... I just would have gone right back under the covers but <laughs> <laughs> we went towards the scary noise yeah not my forte <laughs> so back to the balloon aliens right <laughs> <laughs> so one of them had no neck <laughs> with gray wrinkled skin so like really just no legs, no neck, gray wrinkled skin. <laughs> nothing nothing cute about this guy. <laughs> nothing going for him. And then another did have a neck, but it appeared to be more feminine. <laughs> so I don't know oh. what <laughs> if a neck makes it more feminine or what, but <laughs> <laughs> so that was just kind of like a little description of them. Um and their their hands were shaped like mittens or crab claws. <laughs> nice. So I'm assuming just like, so weird. you know, like if you hold your fingers together and just your thumbs are out, just like crab, crab claws. Oh, yeah. Or like when you have like an oven mitt on or whatever. So that was Calvin's description of these, these aliens. Um, and then when he said that when they put their one of their claws around his arm, he was terrified. But then he said... I think they injected us with something to calm us down. I was kind of numb and went along with the program. So. (laughs) Oh, no. uh, Yeah, alien roofied. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, so Calvin and Charles were then floated into the craft and physical examinations were performed on the two of them. I I didn't really have any details about what sort of physical examinations were performed on them, but. Um, just yeah, they always seem to be kind of vague whenever people recount or tell about their alien encounters. Right, like they're never. They're always like, "Oh, I just remember like a bright light," or "Oh, I just like I don't remember what they did," or it doesn't go into enough detail. Right, so I don't know if like yeah, they're like you know given something where they don't remember or what, but yeah, they're never never super detailed. Um, and then they were taken back to exactly where they were taken from on the pier. So they're just like taken, examine, and then like plop back down. So Calvin didn't want to tell anyone at first, but Charles convinced him to tell someone. So they contacted the Keesler Air Force Base, but then they were told to contact local authorities. (laughs) So Air Force was like, nah. (laughs) we got bigger fish to fry right we're done with you exactly so they did end up contacting then the jackson county sheriff's office um they both passed sobriety tests and polygraph tests and calvin said that he also passed a voice stress test i'm not exactly sure what a voice stress test i'm i could have looked it up but i didn't um (laughs) (laughs) i'm assuming it's just like you know seeing how they speak baseline of your voice saying things that they know are true, like your name. So kind of like a polygraph, just maybe a different way of... Right. Or different detection method. Like, instead of your pulse, your voice. Exactly. I mean, I'm sure there's so many cues to, like, detect if you're lying just by the way you speak or whatever. Right. 
So the news of the abduction spread worldwide, but Charles didn't shy away from the attention. Um, but Calvin did not want the attention. So Charles was like, yes, talk to me. And Calvin was like, eh, no. <laughs> so because of this, Charles, or sorry, Calvin changed jobs and moved somewhere new when people in the places he lived and worked at would recognize him. Because he really just, like, didn't want Aww, the att- he didn't want the attention about this. Um, yeah. He said... I have been going through this 45 years this October. I never talked about it or wanted to talk about it. I have very few friends, but they're true friends. They never asked me about it, and I never talked about it. My family never talks about it. So he just seems like a very reserved man about this situation. Like, I don't know why. I I feel like I would be like, I'm telling the world. (laughs) Put me on Ellen. I want my five minutes 15 minutes, like, give me all of it. So, Calvin eventually began to change his mind about talking about it when he attended a funeral where he saw a lot of people he had not seen in a really long time. Um, He left early because he didn't want the attention on him rather than on the deceased out of respect for the family. But on his way home, his wife told him that he needs to just write about it. So, after thinking about it, he said... I felt like everyone deserved an explanation. Everyone has an expiration date, and I wanted to get this out there before I die. I've had some near-death experiences, and I'm in bad health. I just wanted to do it. So he said that the book... So he did write a book. Um, You guys can find it on Amazon. And he said that the book lifted a weight off his shoulders. Um, The book was titled, Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. So... That was a Calvin's book that he wrote. You guys can find it on Amazon. Um, I'm sure there's other places you can find it, but I just read that you can find it on Amazon. Um, Everything's on Amazon. Right. So So I'm going to finish this off with a quote by Calvin. He said, I catch myself going fishing at night and look up and wonder where they came from and how far did they travel and why they had to get me. So that was the end of the story of Calvin Parker and his abduction with Charles Hickson. Yes. It's interesting he had such a change of heart after a funeral. Yeah, yeah, I think he was just kind of like sick of hiding the fact of what happened and like he was around all those people and he was just like he had to leave early cuz everyone was kind of focusing their attention on him. He's like I'm just going to tell oh, them because yeah. then they don't have to focus their attention on me all the time. So Right. Like they were wanting to ask questions and he just wanted to, you know, just be part of the crowd. Right. Right. So. Yeah. So him actually trying to like avoid attention kind of brought more attention on him because it just piqued everyone's curiosity mm-hmm. more. Yeah. And then having to like move around and stuff when someone recognized you. That's just that's a lot of work. Man, that would be. Yeah. But yeah, that's cool that he wrote a book about it. Yeah, I I kind of wanna I want to see what it's about. Check it out. Might be interesting. I'm sure there he has like more. I know he has like a lot more details in it, and um, I think it said that there was like drawings and pictures and like depictions of what he saw, what he experienced. So, might be cool to go That'd check cool. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's yeah. I'm glad we got in another alien story. That's a good like month anniversary topic. Yeah, for sure. All right, Megan, what do you have for us this week? All right, so 
Um, did you ever watch the show Prison Break on Netflix? I did not. Was it good? It was really good. I really liked watching this guy like try to figure out how to escape from like a back security prison. Oh, okay. The whole like thing behind it was um this like genius brother got himself arrested and put into the same jail as his older brother who was like framed for murder mm-hmm. and the series is like him concocting a plan to get them both out of there. Oh, okay. So, it's a really cool show. Yeah. And like something I saw it today while I was like trying to think of what to talk about. So I looked up some cool like prison breaks, like actual prison breaks. Ooh. And the one I landed on was actually um from Alcatraz. Okay. So um I think most people are probably familiar with Alcatraz. Um it's a pretty famous prison. Uh, if you're not, it is there was a maximum security federal prison. And it's located on an island just a little over a mile off the coast of San Francisco. So a little bit of history about it. It was originally like a war fortress in the water. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then in 1910 to 1912, they performed construction on it and converted it to um, a military prison. Okay. So it was used for that purpose for about 20 years. And then in 1934... The island became a prison of the Federal Bureau of Prisons, and it was, like, more modernized, I guess. It, and security was increased, yeah. invested a lot of money into it. And because of its location, like, being out in the middle of the bay, prison operators believed Alcatraz to be completely escape-proof and one of America's strongest prisons. Okay. So because of this, you know, its location and increased security, it housed some of the country's biggest criminals. A uh, few of them were Al Capone, uh, George Machine Gun Kelly, Alvin Karpis, who was the first person to ever be designated public enemy number one by the FBI, and Birdman Robert Stroud. Wow. So it had a few big names in there yeah. during its operation. So a little bit about um, how the building is structured. So the main part, the cell house where all the prisoners live, is three stories tall and has four blocks, A through D. Also in the cell house, it has the warden's office, a visitation room, a library, and a barber shop. So kind of okay. like bare essentials yeah. needed to maintain the prisoners. Mm-hmm. Um, each of the cells in there was nine feet long by five feet wide and seven feet tall. That's so, tiny. Yeah, so especially if you're, you know, a man over six feet in one of those, it would probably be pretty tight. In yeah. There. Your head would almost be touching the ceiling. Man. So in each little, little cell, they were all kept, every person was kept separate. So in a cell, there'd just be one person. And in each one, there in that tiny space, they had a bed, a desk, a sink, and a toilet. Okay. So everything, like pretty much everything they needed to survive, they could do from their cell. Right. So they didn't have to leave too much. Of the four cells, D Block was known for housing the worst of the worst inmates. And there were six cells at the end of the block that were designated the hole. And that's where guards would throw poor behaving prisoners for extended periods of time and perform pretty brutal punishment on them try to 
like whip them back into shape. So that was the cell house and then extended off of that in kind of a separate smaller building still connected. There was the uh, dining hall and the kitchen and on one floor. And then above that, they had the prison hospital. Okay. So that's kind of the general layout of the place. It was in operation from 1934 until 1963. And the reasons why it closed, so it was one of the most expensive prisons to run. It was about three times more expensive to house a prisoner there for per day than in other prisons. Hmm. So they said it was about $10 a day there versus $3 a day in other prisons. Oh, wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. So especially, and I think the capacity was a little over 300. Okay. Do like, you know what the, like why there was such a big difference in price? No, it didn't say too much. I think maybe just the who they hired there. Okay. Also the location, it was kind of hard to yeah. get to. So having to like boat people in and boat people supplies to and from the island, yeah. I think that just kind of ran up their overall operating costs. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. In addition to that, um, just some more reasons why they closed it down on top of being super expensive. The constant exposure to sea spray started deteriorating the building to a point where it would need over $5 million in repairs to get it, you know, back to stable oh, okay. and not about to fall over. So the board just deemed it a lost cause and decided to move those max security prisoners to another prison that's in a more like central location, okay. more accessible. Yeah. So from that point on, um, Alcatraz became a public museum and is a pretty major tourist attraction in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And about 1.5 million people visit annually. Wow. So Also, Alcatraz, not to be confused with Azkaban. Right. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought of when I saw the story, whenever we had that tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my bad. Yeah, as a true Harry Potter fan, I was offended. <laughs> hey, I did watch all the movies. It's been a while. Oh, did? I did. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It's just been a while. Oh yeah, same did, here. Did not read the books though. <laughs> oh, I was all about the books. My dad wouldn't let me read number four whenever I was first reading them because I think I was like younger than twelve at the time, and okay. it was the first one that had like concepts of death in it. Oh, Dr. Diggory died. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> they should have all. Me... They should have yeah. all seen or watched the movies by now. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't by now, now you have a reason to go watch them. Cause right. Awesome. But yeah, so he's like, I don't want you reading something that's scary so young. So I had to wait. So I like reread the first three books a bunch of times. That's funny. I was an obsessed little nerd. <laughs> but anyways, so not Azkaban, Alcatraz. Um, so the three prisoners we're going to learn about, or four of them actually, um, is Frank Lee Morris, John Anglin, his brother Clarence Anglin, and Alan West. Okay. So first guy, uh, Frank Lee Morris arrived on Alcatraz in January of 1960. He was convicted of his first crime at just 13 years old and spent most of his life in prison. Um, he committed a range of crimes from narcotics possession to armed robbery, and it was said that he was a pretty intelligent guy. It was rumored that he had an IQ of 130, mm -hmm. and 
at other prisons that he was at, he had a history of attempting to break out. Okay. So this is why he was sent to, quote, the rock that they called Alcatraz, since it was seen as inescapable. Okay. Trying to keep him from getting out. Right. So then a little bit about the two brothers, John and Clarence. They actually met Morris at another federal penitentiary in Atlanta, where they were all serving time around the same time. So they had met beforehand. Mm -hmm. John and Clarence were serving time for bank robbery with their third brother, Alfred. Okay. So I guess they were in the family business of bank robbing. (laughs) But they were also sent to Alcatraz because of a few escape attempts. And they arrived mid-1961. Okay. So about a year and a half after Frank. Gotcha. And then the fourth man, Alan West, he was in prison for car theft. And he also did a little bit of time at Atlanta Penitentiary, then also did some time at Florida State Prison, where he also attempted to escape and was transferred to Alcatraz in 1957. Wow. So all these guys had a history of trying to get out. Yeah. I mean, he was in prison for car theft. So I feel like you can just wait that one out. Yeah. You know, like the sentence can't be that long. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, then trying to escape prison just kind of, like, adds more time to your sentence. Exactly. And you're also, like, going to less nice places. Like, you might have been, like, a nice cushy prison at first, but now you're in max security, isolation, like, not many privileges. Right, for a, most likely a a nonviolent crime, right? Right. So um, it was said that he wasn't the most intelligent man. Um, At 28 years old, when he was sent to Alcatraz, it was said he had the education of an eighth grader. Wow. (laughs) So he, you know, might not be the mastermind behind many plans. Yeah. He was he was there to to give the effort. So. Right. He was the morale boost that the team needed. Yeah. (laughs) So um, these four men, they all like kind of knew each other a little bit, and in December 1961, they all somehow ended up in four adjacent cells and started to hatch a plan to escape. So naturally, Morris became the ringleader. Uh, He was the mastermind behind everything. Like, he was a really smart guy, Mm -hmm. so he kind of took up that role. So the four of them, since they did know each other before, they kind of had a little bit of trust in each other. And since they all, like, had a history of trying to escape, you know, they didn't anticipate, like, any of them ratting each other out. Right. So that, like, little bit of trust was important. Yeah. So first step in their plan was to figure out how to get out of the cells. So for months and months, they worked on widening the ventilation ducts in their cells with pretty much anything they could get their hands on. They would use old saw blades from maintenance supplies. Mm -hmm. They would smuggle in metal spoons from the cafeteria and then even somehow made some makeshift electric drill from an old vacuum cleaner motor. Wow, crafty. Yeah, so they were just chipping away at this concrete because they each cell it said they it had a ventilation duct so a little grill mm-hmm. to let air in and out and they were just working on like chipping away at the concrete around that to loosen up that duct so it could be taken out 
and then have a hole wide enough for them to slip through. Okay. So it took them months and months to get this done because they could only work during what they called like music hour because that was normally prisoners couldn't really talk to each other Mm -hmm. very much. Um, You could talk quietly so there wasn't ever a bunch of noise to cover up the sound of someone like you know hitting against concrete. Right. So uh, Morris would actually play the accordion really loud during that time or loud enough to cover up the noise of what they were doing. Oh. (laughs) And (laughs) that's how they were able to slowly chip away the concrete. But I guess for their purpose, it was loud enough to (laughs) cover all the noise. So they started working away on that. And during other hours, whenever they weren't working, it said they covered the holes with painted cardboard so that when the guards walked by, they wouldn't be able to see any difference around those ducks. Okay. So the cells were kept pretty dark. So if they just, you know, walked by and glanced in, they wouldn't really notice too much of a difference. Okay. So they worked on this for a few months. And then once they got the holes big enough to pass through at night, they would go out these holes and there was a utility corridor behind the cells and no guards passed through here. So that was their first step complete. They were able to get out of the cell. Mm-hmm. So once they were in that utility corridor, there was access to the top floor of the cell block that was vacant. So they climbed up there and set up a little workshop where they started step two of their plan, which is finding out a way to somehow make it from the island to another piece of land. Right. And the water around the island is super, super cold. It's in the Pacific Ocean, or like connects to the Pacific Ocean, and Mm -hmm. it's also known for being very turbulent, just a bunch of waves, like definitely not very easy to swim through. Right. Um, There was another guy that attempted to swim it back in the 60s, and he almost died from hyperthermia and exhaustion oh wow so even like just that mile swim it's not easy yeah okay it's possible but it might kill you so it's only a mile then from the island to the closest like land mass I guess yeah or well it's um 1.25 miles they said from the island to San Francisco okay which is a little south gotcha and um the target that these men were going for was called Angel Island and it was about two miles from Alcatraz. Oh, okay. I forget which direction, but yeah, it's a little further, but I think possibly less busy. So mm-hmm. people aren't seeing three pres- four pres- prisoners roll up in their little right. craft. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they had their workshop and they built life vests. Um, apparently one of the guys had seen a, I guess, a plan for them in a magazine and so they built life vests, and then they also built a rubber raft that they made out of, they said, over 50 raincoats. How, how do you get 50 raincoats while you're in a max security prison? I don't know. Like, how did that many go missing and you don't realize? Right. <laughs> yeah, apparently their raft, it was said to be 6 feet by 14 feet. Which I feel like is huge. Yeah, that's a that's a big raft for 
just like an escape plan. Yeah, I guess they didn't want it to be too small, though, like, the weight of four men would bring it down. Yeah, I guess. And I guess, like, yeah, the, like, if the water's pretty, like, wavy and stuff, you want something to be able to hold you up. Yeah, you don't want to be sitting right on the edge when you're being tossed around in the water. Right. Yeah, so apparently they they hand-sewed the whole thing, and then they used the heat coming from the pipes. Mm Mm-hmm up there to like melt together any holes that there were like from the raincoats and like make it all into one solid piece oh wow so very handy guys yeah and so to actually blow up the raft they got a concertina which i didn't know what that was either but i looked it up and it's like a little mini like handheld accordion so i guess they just like use that as like a pump oh to pump air into the thing so but does it like make noise every time i think i forget how those work but isn't there like maybe something that the air passes against that makes the noise so i think if they take that thing out oh okay then it won't make noise like woodwind instruments they have like the reed the little piece of wood in them yeah so maybe it's something like that makes i don't sense. know how they work but yeah i would hope not because <laughs> <laughs> if you try to blow it up quicker and you just hear accordion noise right <laughs> i can't imitate it so i'm not even gonna try yeah i thought I about it myself enough with seeing Nicki minaj so i thought about I'm making very y'all <laughs> i thought about making the accordion noise too and i was like nah i've never tried it so i'm not gonna no. try it on here this is not the time not no. the time i'll practice later right we'll get back to you on that one maybe probably not but it's okay <laughs> anyways um yeah so that's what they worked on next i don't know how long it took them to get the 50 raincoats but i'm sure it took a bit so they eventually completed their little raft or not little it's pretty big raft Mm -hmm. and they you know once they had that done their next step was to find out how to get out of there so they're in the top floor of the cell house and now they're trying to find a way to get to the roof okay so they found another ventilation shaft to the roof that they were able to climb up and there was a fan grill in the way so they worked on like loosening that up I think they had to so they had to remove the rivets that held it in place so they could pop it off Mm -hmm. so you know while they're doing all this at night there's still guards walking around and checking all the cells and all that to make sure no one's escaped Mm -hmm. and so they had a solution for that as well they got really crafty here, even more crafty than the raft, I think. Wow. Um, and they, like, paper macheed some little <laughs> dummy heads oh my to put on their pillow at night. Man. And they didn't have the typical, like, newspaper and, like, Mod Podge type thing. Yeah. So they just had to, like, gather whatever they could while being in prison. Huh. So that included soap, toothpaste, some concrete dust because you know they were chipping away at it all and you need yeah. it for something and toilet paper so gross <laughs> so they used all these materials to make these little dummy heads and to make them even more realistic they took paint from the maintenance supplies and painted the faces so they looked a little more realistic and then to top it all off um you know how i mentioned they had a barber shop in the cell house mm-hmm well, they grabbed hair from the floor of the barber house 
and stuck it on their little paper mache heads. Gross. <laughs> Gross, oh. but clever. Smart, yeah. <laughs> they should have their own <laughs> Etsy shop. Ooh, yeah, they actually, like, I looked at pictures of them, and they look, like, not that bad. Like, if I yeah. just thought, like, laying on a pillow in the dark, I wouldn't have questioned it. Yeah. So, it even has, like, a nice defined jawline. It's got the ear, the hair, wow. has a little dew. Like, it's, <laughs> it's pretty nice. So, yeah, that's how they were able to sneak out of their cells so much at night. So, for, you know, at least six months of leaving their cells. Yeah. So those work pretty well. And they would just like stuff, you know, stuff a bunch of pillows and clothes under their blanket and then put the little dummy head on the pillow and it looks like a person. So the guards never suspected a thing. Well, I guess if it worked. Yeah, <laughs> did for them. Because uh, then, so the day finally came. It was June 11th, 1962. The raft was built. The holes were dug. Mm-hmm. And they're ready to go. So that night... Morris and the Anglin brothers put their little dummy heads in place and hopped out of the ventilation holes that they'd made. Uh, However, West wasn't so lucky, and they had used a bit of concrete to kind of makeshift patch up the hole he made Yeah, because it was kind of falling apart, but that concrete hardened, and he wasn't able to fit through it anymore. Oh, no. And the vent was stuck back in the wall, so... They're, they're all already out of there, and he's like, oh, shit. And so he starts, like, chipping away at it again, trying to get out. Yeah. So he was able to finally widen the hole enough to climb through, but by the time he got to the roof, the other three were gone. So <laughs> they <just laughs> he turned back around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, we're not waiting on you, because it was – he said it was – um. It was sunrise by the time he got oh, okay. up there. So they're like so, one shot. Yeah, then they needed the cover of dark to be able to get out. Mm-hmm. So he said he got up there around sunrise. It's like, yeah, they're gone. Turned back around, went back to his cell, and went to sleep. Oh. So he accepted his yeah. defeat. I guess what else do you do? <laughs> That's all you can, really. Right? Yeah, so during the escape, after the fact, because the, the guards weren't aware it was going on at the time, but they said that they heard a loud crash, and investigators guessed that that's that ventilation shaft that goes onto the roof mm-hmm. being, like, thrown off and, like, clamoring on the roof. Okay. Uh, but since that was the only noise they heard, they decided not to investigate and, you know, just went on their merry way. So once they were on top of the roof, they descended a 50-foot kitchen vent that was on the outside of the building to get down to the ground and and also this whole time they're carrying that like big raft as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't blown up at that point, but it was still like fifty raincoats right. worth of material all sewn together. So not an easy thing to just carry around. Yeah. Um but yeah, so they successfully made it fifty feet to the ground and then they had to climb two twelve foot fences with barbed wire at the top. And then once they were done with that, somehow they made it out without getting spotted by any of the guards, Mm -hmm. they made their way to the northeastern shoreline where there was a blind point in the tower guard's view, and they were able to inflate the raft there. Oh, okay. So there was just this one little spot where, like, the lights didn't reach, and the guards in the towers couldn't really see it. So that's where they took their little hand accordion and inflated the raft. Okay. So investigators 
estimated that they completed all of this around 10 p.m., and they made their way toward Angel Island that was two miles to the north. Gotcha. At this point, they're on their merry way, and no one knew that anything had happened until the morning of June 12th. Wow. So their dummy heads had worked. They made their escape. Yep, and the guards were none the wiser until they tried to come wake them up and realized that nobody was in there. (laughs) So now, of course, since three guys got off the Alcatraz Island, there was a very extensive investigation that went on. Okay, right. So since West wasn't able to escape with the others, he decided to completely cooperate with investigators and reveal all the details of the escape plan. And in return, he was not punished for attempting to escape. What the heck? So I think he got the pretty good deal there. Yeah. What a snitch, so though. I know, right? But I mean, it seems like he gave away, like, the details of the escape, but not, like, the after plan. Okay. So that's that's kind of how we know so much about what they did to get off the island. Yeah. Because he didn't make it. Uh, right. Unfortunately. <laughs> so... Whenever the escape actually happened, the warden happened to be out of town on vacation at the time, but when they called him him, to let him know what had happened, he said that he didn't believe that the men could have survived the waters in their little makeshift raft. So, with the help of the military and other law enforcement agencies, they conducted a very extensive land, air, and sea search for 10 days. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a lot of, like, effort and resources. Yeah, especially military and police. Like, right, for 10 days. Yeah, they were trying to find any, like, shred of physical evidence they could to figure out what had happened. Yeah. Because especially, like, you know, recovering the raft would be a huge step in that, because even if they, like, didn't make it and drowned, you know, wherever that raft ended up, it could let them know what had happened. Like, if they found it in the middle of the ocean, yeah. probably make it, found it on land, possibly made it. But it wasn't super successful. So on June 14th, they found one of the paddles that they had made using just like random prison materials. Yeah. Uh, They found it on the southern shore of Angel Island. And that same day, they also found a wallet that was wrapped in plastic that contained names and contact information for England's friends and relatives. Hmm. So that was a pretty like direct connection. Yeah. Um, They were shocked that they actually found that. Because they're thinking if they potentially survived, like, they would do anything they could to not lose that information. Right. That's pretty important. Yeah. So that led them to believe that maybe they possibly didn't make it. Hmm. Then on June 21st, they also found remnants of raincoat material not too far from the Golden Gate Bridge. But it wasn't the full raft. It was just, like, small pieces. Oh, okay. But other than the paddle the wallet, and the little bit of material, no other physical evidence was ever found. Oh, wow. So, yeah. On the official FBI report, it, they state that the raft was never recovered. And in public settings, FBI officials state that the men most certainly drowned because no bodies were ever found. Whoa. So they did this whole plan and they like were so close, but yet they most likely didn't make it at all. Yeah. Or that's what... They say that FBI officials like to publicly state. Okay. I think that they, you know, they don't want to admit that they successfully got off the aisle or escaped. Yeah. So that, that's kind of the story they're going with because they're like, oh, no, like, there's no way they could have made it on this raft. Right. 
So I was looking on an article, and apparently in 2003, Mythbusters did an episode about this escape, Mm -hmm. and they determined that it actually is physically possible for them to have survived the boat ride to the shore on a boat made of similar materials that they had available to them. Oh, okay. So they could have, you know, gotten off and and lived a full full life, I guess, right? Yeah, they definitely could have. Wow. So it's still kind of unknown, but the official FBI report says that, oh, they drowned. Yeah. But um, it says that there actually, there still are active warrants out for their arrests, just because, but they're presumed drowned. And so West also stated that they planned to steal clothes and a car once they reached shore, <laughs> but there were no reports of stolen vehicles in the area on June 11th or 12th or in the days surrounding. So that kind of corroborates the FBI story a little bit that yeah. they drowned because they would have needed to like steal something. They would need to get a card so they could get somewhere. Right. Man, so, I'm kind of like yeah. rooting for them to have made it because, right? <laughs> because of, of that. Right? That's impressive. Yeah. So um, there were a couple – listed sightings of the men. Um, In January 1965, a few years after the escape, there was a rumor that Clarence Anglin was living in Brazil. Oh. It was considered, like the tip was considered so significant that agents were dispatched to South America to try and find him. Wow. So I guess there was enough evidence surrounding that rumor that they dedicated time and resources to that. Did they ever find that person that the tip was about or... Did they just not find anything? No, they didn't find anything. Mm. And then in 1967, an anonymous male called the FBI and claimed to have been at school with Morris and having known him for 30 years. And he said that he bumped into him in Maryland and just described him as having a small beard and mustache, but refused to give further details. Mm. So they kind of think that one was a prank. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they had a couple sightings. The one in Brazil was the most dug into. But, yeah, so. That's interesting. To this day, like, people still don't know what exactly happened to them. Like, whether they drowned or whether they, maybe they did escape to Brazil. And they're just living their best life down there. I mean, they were mostly, what, nonviolent crimes, right? Um, yeah, I know Alan West was car theft. Okay. I don't know if the... The Anklin brothers, I don't know if it was armed robbery, but they it was bank robbery. Mm-hmm. Frankly, Morris actually was convicted of armed robbery, so he had some violent crimes in his past. Oh, okay. I was going to say, well, I kind of hope they were just like living their life in Brazil just because <laughs> that they escaped. They made it out. Yeah. But <laughs> they outsmarted the system. Right. As long as they weren't like super crazy murderers or something. Yeah. I think, I think. It seems like if they had gotten out after all that effort, they'd kind of like chill out a bit. Right. Right after stealing a car, so they could get out. Yeah, you'd want to lay. Done. Yeah, you'd want to lay low, so no one is kind of like has their eye on you. But yeah, um, you don't want to escape prison just to go right back. Right. Exactly. Um, do you know how old they would have been, like, or they would be today this time? Not like exactly today. Yeah, so let's see. I remember, I don't know exactly, but I remember Alan West had said when he arrived in 1957, he was 28 years old. Right. So that was 63 years ago. So he'd be 63 plus 20. About 90. He'd be 91. 
<laughs> so they're they're probably you know long gone by now. Yeah, I think at this point they it's very likely that they've passed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was that's a good story. I like that one. I really yeah. want to go to Alcatraz because it's also super haunted. Yeah. So again, as we talked about in two episodes ago. We definitely have to go to California because there's a lot of cool things out there we need to visit. So one of these days. When it's yeah. when it's safer to travel, maybe we can make some plans. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a fun episode, guys. Yeah. Hope y'all enjoyed yeah. both of these stories. Yes, I'll bring you a story next week. I don't know what it's gonna be yet, but I will find a good one. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're always looking for suggestions too, guys. So, as always, DM us, follow us, like our stuff on Two Weirdos One Podcast, our Instagram. You can also email us at Two Weirdos One Pod at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, so we will get that get this episode out on Tuesday. Well, I guess you're listening to it. If you're listening to it, it's on Tuesday or later. So, um, yeah, that's our new upload schedule. In case yes. you missed the announcements, we have now changed to a record Sunday, upload Tuesday shop. Yes, that just works best with our schedules having, you know, full time jobs and new houses and projects going on on the weekends. So, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're busy, but. We love doing this, so it's fun. It's fun to take like an hour out of the day just to talk about all these weird, crazy, terrible, awful, scary things. Yeah, I've learned so much from doing it, so it's super fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, Megan, unrelated, but (laughs) (laughs) you said you had a dream the other day that your house was haunted. Oh my gosh. I don't (laughs) even want to think about it. Yeah, I had a very vivid dream that like the new house that I moved into was extremely haunted (laughs) and it yeah it felt really real so I have like this little night light outside of my master bedroom doors it's like a double door and so it's like a big long strip of light on the floor yeah and I remember seeing just like footsteps across it but like no one being in the house because like my alarm didn't go off and then just like doors opening and closing and me just like retreating under my blankets because I'm scared oh my gosh (laughs) that's terrifying I know I'm really hoping none of that happens (laughs) because right oh my gosh that would push my anxiety through the roof I can't I can't do it (laughs) (laughs) that's so spooky (laughs) yeah so fingers crossed that doesn't happen (laughs) finger crossed for no more dreams like that nightmares (laughs) no more yeah right (laughs) well Longest outro ever award goes to us. I mean. But we hope you all enjoyed it. Yes. And we'll talk to you next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye.